everybody. So nice to see you here. This is Linda. And this is Glenn. And indeed, you're all welcome here. Come on in and have a seat and visit with us a little while. We trust your week has been a blessed one. And we pray it's uh, that you've been blessed too. Linda, has your week been uh, been a good one? Well, yes and no. Uh, I, the other day, I fell down the stairs oh, and no. broke my ankle and other assorted parts. <laughs> and so now I'm in a cast after going through surgery. Um, but I'm blessed that it's being it's healing. Well, tell you what, folks. Despite all that, gather around with us here and get your singing boots on, and let's get started with the, this week's song. We have a wonderful story to tell. It's it's a it's a great one and has welcome news with it, and everybody needs to hear it. I will sing the wondrous story of the Christ who died for me, how he left the realms of glory for the cross of Calvary. Yes, I'll sing the wondrous story of the Christ who died for me. Sing it with the saints in glory gathered by the crystal sea. I was lost, but Jesus found me, found the sheep that went astray, raised me up and gently led me back into the narrow way. He will keep me till the river rolls its water at my feet. Then at last he'll bring me over, saved by grace and victory. Yes, I'll sing the wondrous story of the Christ who died for me. Sing it with the saints in glory, gathered by the crystal sea. I Will Sing the Wondrous Story was written by Francis Riley in 1886 during a series of revival meetings revival services at First Baptist Church, North Adams, Massachusetts, where Raleigh was pastoring. He wrote this song at the suggestion of Peter Bullhorn, music leader at the revival. His Raleigh to write a song that he would be able to set to music. Francis Raleigh was born in Hilton, New York on July 25, 1854, the son of a doctor. Later, he became a Baptist minister and graduated from Rochester University in 1875 and Rochester Theological Seminary of New York in 1878. He became a Baptist minister, serving churches in Massachusetts, Pennsylvania, and Illinois, an animal welfare campaigner, and a hymn writer. He pastored for over 30 years. Once when he was in London, he heard the Salvation Band, Army Band playing his hymn. They had no idea he was nearby. Rowley became aware of the uh, d dismemberment of animals and, uh, at a slaughterhouse across the street and lobbied for the animals to be rendered unconscious before being cut. Well, from 1892 to 1900, he was secretary of the American Humane Society. Francis gave the following account for the writing of this hymn. I was a minister of the Baptist Church in North Adams, Massachusetts in 1886. The church and community were experiencing a period of unusual interest in religious matters, and I was assisted by a remarkable young Swiss musician by the name of Peter Billhorn. One Sunday following the Eve of service, he said, 
why don't you write a hymn for me? And I'll set it to music. During the night, the verses came to me. The original poem began. Can't you sing a wondrous story, however, when the song was first pu published by Ira Sankey in, in uh, 1887, the phrase, phrase was changed to, I'll sing, I will sing. Peter Billhorn was born in Mendota, Illinois, in 1865. With the death of his father, Peter was forced to quit school at the age of eight to help support his family. At the age of 15, his family moved to Chicago. His voice became famous in concert halls and among his worldly friends. When he was 20, he came to know Christ as his Savior at a meeting given by Dr. Pentecost and musician George Stebbins. After his conversion, he was greatly used to the Lord in the way of Christian service. The organ he used for playing during the service was a small folding one with his name on it. He engineered he engineered it and to enable him to play while traveling around. He had designed it to weigh about sixteen pounds, and it folded easily. Later he began manufacturing of it in eighteen eighty seven. The venture proved to be very successful and the organs were widely used all over the world. Bill Horn wrote around 2,000 gospel songs. This hymn is one of his finest compositions. His evangelistic ministry carried him into all of the United States, Great Britain, and to other countries around the world. Bill Horn was not only a skillful songwriter and leader, but also an earnest soul winner. One night, while conducting revival meetings in Reedsboro, Wisconsin, he retired to his room, but later he began walking down the street, even though the weather was bitterly cold. Seeing a gleam of light from the basement window, he knocked and was allowed to come in. He found a group of men gambling. Six of them made their peace with God that night. I Will Sing the Wondrous Story was presented by Rowley and Billhorn to Ira Sankey as a gift. Sankey was so impressed with the value and usefulness of this hymn that he published it in the 1887 edition of Gospel Hymns and Sacred Songs and Solos. It became one of the most popular songs of his collection. Our first stanza says why we should sing it because it tells of Christ who died for us. I will sing the wondrous story of the Christ who died for me, how he left his home in glory for the cross of Calvary. The most wondrous story ever told is that Christ died for us. Romans 5, 8 says, But God demonstrated his own love toward us. And while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. And in 1 Corinthians 15, 3 and 4, For I delivered to you, first of all, that which I also received, that Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures, and that he was buried, and that he rose again the third day according to the Scriptures. In order to do this, he left his home in glory. Philippians 2, 5, and 8 says, Let this mind be in you, which is also in Jesus Christ. Being in the form of God, he did not consider it robbery to be equal with God, but made himself 
of no reputation, taking the form of a bond servant and coming in the likeness of men and being found in the appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, even the death of the cross. And his death upon the cross of Calvary is the means by which we have redemption from our sins. 1 Corinthians 1, 18, 21 through 21, For the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved it is the power of God. For it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise, and bring to nothing the understanding of the prudent. Where is the wise? Where is the scribe? Here is the disputer of this age. Has not God made foolish the wisdom of this world? For since in the wisdom of God, the world through wisdom did not know God, it pleased God through the foolishness of the message preached to save those who believe. Our second stanza tells us that we should sing it because we're lost, but Jesus found us. I was lost, but Jesus found me, found the sheep that went astray through his loving arms around me drew me back into his way. All responsible human beings are lost because they have sinned. Romans 2.23 says, For all have sinned and all fall short of the glory of God. And 6.23 says, For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is everlasting life in Jesus Christ our Lord. It says in Luke 15.4 and 5, but just as a shepherd goes in search of his sheep that has gone astray and brings it back, so Jesus is the good shepherd who came to seek and save the lost. For the Son of Man has come to seek and to save that which was lost. Now the means by which he draws us back into his way is the teaching of the gospel message, which we must believe and obey in John six forty-four through 45 no one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him, and I will raise him up at the last day. It is written in the prophets, and they shall all be taught by God. Therefore, everyone who has heard and learned from the Father comes to me. Stanza 3 begins expressing that we should sing it because Jesus healed us when we were bruised. I was bruised, but Jesus healed me. Faint was I from many a fall. Sight was gone and fears possessed me. But he freed me from that all. Jesus is also pictured as the great physician who came to heal those who are spiritually sick. Mark two sixteen through 17 And when the scribes and Pharisees saw him eating with the tax collectors and sinners, they said to his disciples, how is it that he eats and drinks with tax collectors and sinners? When Jesus heard this, he said to them, Those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. I did not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. When we are in sin, we're pictured as spiritually blind. We can see that in Second Corinthians 4.3. But even if the gospel is veiled, it is veiled to those who are perishing, whose mind 
the God of this age has blinded, who do not believe, least the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God, should, si- should shine on them. However, he can cure us because he frees us from the sins that cause this condition. In Romans six seventeen through 18, it says, But God be thanked that though you were slaves of sin, yet you obeyed from the heart that form of doctrine which you hear delivered. And having been set free from sin, you became slaves of righteousness. And stanza four says that we should sing it because Jesus is with us when days of darkness come over us. Days of darkness still come over me. Sorrow paths I often tread, but the Savior still is with me. By his hand, I'm safely led. Even as Christians who have been saved by the blood of the Lamb, as long as we live on this earth, we shall have our share of darkness and sorrow. Psalms 90.10 says the days of our lives are 70 years, and if by reason of strength they are 80 years, yet their boast is only labor and sorrow. For it is soon cut off, and we fly away. For during our trials and difficulties in this life, Jesus has promised to be with us as we do his will. Matthew twenty-eight eighteen through 20 says, And Jesus came and spoke to them, saying, All authority has been given to me in heaven and in earth. Go therefore and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit teaching them to observe all things that I have commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even unto the end of the age. Amen. Therefore we can trust him to lead us by his hand. Psalms 139, 9 and 10 says, If we take the wings of the morning and dwell in the uttermost parts of the sea, even there your hand shall lead me, and your right hand shall hold me. In the fifth stanza, it says that we just sing it because we will keep he will keep us to death he will keep me until the river rolls its water at my feet then he'll bear me safely over where the loved ones i shall meet the river here refers poetically to death quite often in religious poetry death is symbolized as standing between us and heaven as the jordan river stood between the people of israel and their promised rest in canaan in Joshua six thirteen through 17. Then seven priests, bearing seven trumpets of ram's horn, before the ark of the Lord went on continually and blew with the trumpets. And the armed men went before them. But the rear guard came after the ark of the Lord, while the priests continued blowing the trumpets. And on the second day they marched around the city once, and returned to the camp. So they did six days. But it came to pass on the seventh day that they rose early, about the dawning of the day, and marched around the city seven times in the same manner. On that day only they marched around the city seven times. And the seventh time it happened, when the priests blew the trumpets, that Joshua said to the people, Shout, for the Lord has given you the city. Now the city shall be done. Uh, doomed by the Lord to destruction, it and all who are in it. Only Rahab the harlot shall live, she and all who are with her in the house, because she hid the messengers that we sent. 
that at death he will bear us safely over to the other side. We see in Luke 16.22. So it was that the beggar died. He was carried away to the angels, by the angels to Abraham's bosom. The rich man also died and was buried. And if we've been faithful unto death, Christ will not only be with us at death, but he'll also take us home to live with him. And the saints of all ages beside the eternal river of life. We read in Revelations 2.10, Do not fear any of the things of which you're about to suffer. Indeed, the devil is about to throw some of you in prison, that you might be tested, and you will have tribulation ten days. Be faithful unto death, and I'll give you a crown of life. Then again in 22, 1-5 says, He showed me a pure river of water of life, clear as crystal, proceeding from the throne of God and of the Lamb. And in the middle of, the, of its streets and on either side of the river, there was a tree of life, which bore twelve fruits, each tree yielding its own fruit every month. The leaves of the tree were for the healing of the nations, and he shall be no more curse, but the throne of God and the Lamb shall be in it, and his servants shall serve him. They shall see his face, and his name shall be on their foreheads. For there shall be no night there. They need no lamp nor light of the sun. For the Lord gives them light, and they shall reign forever and ever. There are some books that have changed phrases such as, Where the loved ones I shall meet, to the saved ones, under the assumption that loved ones refers only to relatives. And most of us do have loved ones who are not saved and will not be in heaven. However, many of us also have loved ones in the flesh who were faithful Christians, and we hope to see them again. And all of the saved ones whom I know, I also consider loved ones as well, and I hope to meet them in heaven too. So I do not see the problem with singing about seeing our loved ones there. Because of all the reasons stated in the stanzas to sing praises to Jesus here, the chorus says, Yes, I'll sing the wondrous story of the Christ who died for me, Sing it with the saints in glory, gathered by the crystal sea. Thus, if we, having obeyed the gospel and received all the spiritual blessings available through him, will sing the praises of Jesus Christ in this life because he died for me, found me when I was lost, and will bear me safely over the river of death into eternal promised land. Then as the chorus says, I have, I can have the hope of being among the number who stand around the throne of God in heaven because the crystal seas were forever. I will sing the wondrous story. And as we sing that wondrous story, it's a blessing to, to us to share. Yes, I really enjoy conversation with people. I'm very learning. And you learn so much from people. Yes, good conversation invokes the heart and creates a bond between people. 
Many times it invokes friendship and maybe eventually love. It's great to share ideas and provoke thoughts that can help us grow and become a better person. And the music we sing is really a conversation. It's the pace of things. It presents a melody that invokes a mood. A mood. Its dynamics convey the intensity of the thought and the words portray information. I know what I'm playing for an audience. I look out into the congregation and I can see the faces of the people. I'm being understood. People react to the music. That emotion is reflected in their faces. And I can see when people, people are moved. And it can also be a prayer. At least it is for me. Music is certainly praise. So our conversation is such an important, useful tool that God has given us. God has given us this important, needed, and essential news and information that we need to carry to everyone that comes into our life. That good news is the saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. So, we sing the wondrous story, and we share the wondrous story everywhere we go. And people get saved. And it's not because of any powerful sermon or magical spiritual power in us. No, it's simply we are fulfilling the command of Jesus because we begin our day with prayer that God would bring someone across our path that he is dealing with. We know that God deals with folks all the time because he's not willing that any should perish. And we know the world is full of lost people that need the saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. We ask God to help us be sensitive to his spirit in our lives and the lives of others. And the opportunity presents itself. We share the gospel with that person. God does the convicting and works in the hearts of the lost people. It may just be a gospel track or the opportunity comes up in conversation about their lives or ours, but just the right word would start the conversation that may lead to a change in someone's eternal direction. We may or may not even know in this life if we made a difference there, but we know we did what he wanted us to do. Do you have a wonderful story to tell? Each week on our uh, podcast, we tell folks about Jesus. He means so much to us. What a difference he's made for us. The joy and peace and commitment fill our lives. We have to share this. It's just too important a thing to keep to ourselves. Heaven and hell represent God's eternal two-part solution to the problem of the righteous presently suffering and the wicked presently prospering. In the Bible, Jesus spoke more about hell than anyone else did. He couldn't have pointed to a bleaker picture. Jesus referred to hell as a real place and described it in graphic terms. He spoke of fire that burns but does not consume. And undying worm that eats away at the damned and the lowly and full-bearing darkness. Christ says unsaved will be thrown outside into the darkness. There will be weeping, weeping and gnashing of teeth. 
Jesus taught that an unbridgeable chasm separates the wicked in hell from the righteous in paradise. The wicked suffer terribly, remain, uncon remain conscious, retain their desires and memories, long for relief, cannot find comfort, cannot leave their torment, and have no hope. Jesus tells us that hell is the place of eternal punishment, not just separation. That would be better than what it really is. What Jesus said was, then they will go away to eternal punishment, but the righteous to eternal life. Here in the same sentence, according to our Lord, some will be in heaven forever, then some will be in hell forever. I know some say that a loving God would not send his creation to an everlasting fire, but Jesus taught us about the real eternal hell. Jesus hates it that we've done this to ourselves because he loves us. The place was prepared for the devil and his angels, not for us. It will be a tragedy for those who say it's not real and do not believe there is a such place. Do we think we are more loving than Jesus? Do we think we should trust ourselves and our culture rather than him? The Bible tells of the evil of the rebellion against God entering the universe through Satan. He dreamed of making himself equal to God. By wanting more than God had given him, he sealed his fate. Now his, Satan's, now his efforts are all evil with suffering. And that is exactly what Jesus came to defeat. From the beginning, God planned that his son should deal the death blow to Satan, evil and suffering, reversing the curse caused by Adam and, Adam and Eve's sin, sin, creating redemption for all fallen sinners, and fixing a broken world. We might think that a good, all and powerful God should disarm every shooter and prevent every drunk driver from crashing. But if he did, this would not be a real world in which people make consequential choices. It would be a world where people were happy to do evil as well as put up with the evil, feeling no incentive to turn to God or consider the gospel or, its, or prepare for their eternity. They would live with no sense of need and then die only to find themselves in hell. Short-term suffering serves as a warning and a foretaste of eternal suffering. Without a taste of hell, we would neither see its horrors nor feel motivated to do anything and everything possible to avoid it. Sometimes we cry out for true and lasting justice. Then fault God for taking evil too seriously by administering eternal punishment. But we can have it both ways. To argue against hell is to argue against justice. When speaking of what a terrible notion hell is, people talk about it if it involves the suffering of innocent people. That would indeed be unjust. But the Bible nowhere suggests that the innocent will spend a single moment in hell. Even if we acknowledge hell is necessary and just punishment for evildoers, however we rarely see ourselves as worthy of hell. After all, we're not all ruthless dictators and serial killers and raging terrorists, but we are truly unqualified to 
as to how sinful we are. The Bible says there's no one righteous, not even one. We've never been anything other than sinful. If not for the testimony of God's word, as well as his precious gift of the conscience, God has put his image, God has put in his image bearers, we might not have a clue of our sinfulness. We can always make a reason for our sin, but hell exists because sin has no excuse. Hell is morally right because a just God must punish evil. Now that sounds like nonsense to the hell-hating lost, but it becomes much more logical when we see evil for what it is, and a major offense against an absolutely righteous one that made us. If everlasting hell like, sounds like too much punishment, it's absolutely because we have no understanding of what it means to sin against an infinitely holy being. If we had a better understanding of God's nature and who we really are, we would not be so shocked that people go to hell. Where else would he put sinners? Rather, we should feel surprised, as maybe the angels do, that any fallen human could be allowed to go to heaven. We imagine, in thought, that we're too loving to believe that there's a hell. But in saying this, it's blasphemy. For we claim to be more loving than Jesus. Are we more loving than one of, with wondrous love took upon himself the penalty of punishment for our sins? Most people today believe heaven is where we're all going. Have you ever, ever heard a funeral where the preacher spoke of the dead in hell? But the reality is all have sinned and fell short of the glory of God. Hebrews twelve fourteen says, Without holiness, no one will see the Lord. No one will enter the presence of an infinitely holy God unless something makes a major change in us. Until our sin problem gets resolved, without, with, without that, all of us are going to hell. And that sin problem must be resolved through saving faith in Christ. Only then is our door open to heaven. Sin has terrible consequences, but God has provided a solution. The wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life. In Christ Jesus, our Lord. Listen to us, my friend. Jesus lived a sinless life, then died to pay the penalty for our sins on the cross. He took upon himself our hell that we deserve in order to pay, pay for us the heaven we don't deserve. When he died, he said, it is finished. This is a Greek word for canceling certificate of death, and it means paid in full. Jesus then rose from the grave, defeating sin and conquering death. With that, he made the one and only way to heaven. There is no other way to the Father, the Father in heaven. Peter declared, Salvation is found in no one else but Jesus, for there is no one other, other name under heaven given to men by which we must be saved. Jesus said, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Now that's an exclusive statement, but Jesus made it. Do you believe him? No Christian has the right to claim his own authority that Jesus is the only way to God. It is Jesus himself who claimed this. 
he was either right or wrong. I could trust myself and think, well, I wouldn't send anybody to hell for eternity. And I wouldn't make uh, just one way for people to come to God. But my opinion doesn't matter, since I'm not God. If Jesus was God, we must trust what he said, not what we think or what anybody else thinks. If you confess with your mouth Jesus Christ is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. To believe in him is to trust him, to embrace him, to give ourselves over to his lordship. Good deeds doesn't earn us a place in heaven. Christ offers it as a free gift of forgiveness and eternal life. Whosoever is thirsty, let him come unto me, and whosoever wishes, let him take the free gift of the water of life. If you haven't accepted this gift offered by Christ at such a great price to him, what's stopping you? Now, listen to us as Forgiven sings, I will sing the wondrous story. so much for listening to our podcast today. We trust it was a blessing to you. It makes our day when we hear someone that was blessed by our podcast for music. 
We'd love to get an email from you. Just send it to glenn.dawson at glenndawsonea.com. That's G-L-E-N-N dot Dawson at Glenn, G-L-E-N-N, Dawson, E-A dot com. You can find all our information on our website at www.glendawsonea.com. In addition to our email, you can find information about our Facebook page and Twitter information. You can also find links to our index of all our podcasts and links to all our music on YouTube. We hope you will enjoy those. And remember now, we love y'all. God be with you. And bye for now.